If you have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to turn uh, to the Gospel according to John, uh, chapter 3, and you want to kind of mark that place and go back into the book of uh, Numbers, chapter 21. Again, you can go ahead and mark John, chapter 3, uh, and you can also turn back to the book of Numbers, chapter 21, but this is a three-bookmark kind of morning um, because our original scripture reading this morning is going to come from the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, so... Again, if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and mark John chapter 3 uh, and Numbers chapter 21, we're going to get to those two places here in just a little bit. John chapter 3, Numbers chapter 21. We'll again turn to those in just a minute. But I want to read to you, if I may, one verse found in the book of Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22 title for our thought this morning would be the look that saves the look that saves Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22 says this look unto me the result of that is and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is None else. Again, notice what Isaiah says that God begins to speak and says, Look unto me and be ye saved. If there is one that we can look to today, it's God. You and I today, even sitting where you are, you can turn your head to the left, you can turn your head to the right. I don't know anybody that can turn and look behind them. I guess you can turn your shoulders and look behind you. But there's a lot of directions that we can look. But God said there's only one place that you can look and be saved. And when we talk about the look that saves, there's only one direction or one place that you can look, and that's to God. John chapter 3, if you want to turn over for just a minute, if you mark that place. John chapter 3, of all the beliefs or all the uh, Buddha or anything like that, if you was to say that, that Buddha was a snake or a serpent, probably be offended in some form or fashion. But Jesus is not calling himself a snake. But what he is saying is, he is the one that can deliver. He becomes like one to deliver us from one. We're going to talk about some of these things in a minute. But I want to read, if I can, John chapter 3. And I want to skip down to the 14th verse. Jesus himself classifying himself as a serpent. Listen to what he said. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, there was a conversation, if you go back and read at the very beginning of John chapter 3 about Nicodemus and the fact that Jesus said that a man must be born again. Nicodemus was a little puzzled. He was perplexed. He was a little confused. He said, how can a person be born again? And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. Marvel not, I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Nicodemus said, how can a person be born again and enter into heaven? There was, a, there was a question that he had, and there was some confusion. I want you to know something today. 
that Jesus does not want anybody to be confused what it takes to get to heaven. If you're confused about what it takes to get to heaven, listen to the scriptures and look to the one that saves today. You look to Jesus and you'll find out exactly what it takes to get to heaven. Folks, Jesus is the way. We'll read some of these verses here in just a minute. But, but notice what Nicodemus, he was struggling. And matter of fact, even in the uh, ninth verse, he said, How can these things be? He said, how can a person be born again and still enter to heaven? What Jesus is telling them is, when we get down into the 14th verse in a minute, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of be lifted up. And let's read verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is reminding Nicodemus, he's not going to just take sin and just throw it away. What he's saying is, I must deal with sin. So he uses Moses, and if you mark the book of Numbers, chapter 21, we're going to go back there for just a minute. Because he, he reminds us that God is not going to just forget sin or kind of just brush it aside. He said, I have to deal with sin, folks. May we be reminded this morning and may we be clear about something. God must deal with sin. And we may read it in a minute, for the wages of sin is death. There's no way around that. There's not any way to avoid that. God tells us and he reminds us that we must be born again. In, but still, in doing that, God must deal with sin. So in the book of Numbers for just a minute, you turn there. Numbers chapter 21, God had told the people of Israel that as they were journeying to Canaan's land, they come across this Edom, and Edom said, you know what, you can't come through here. So the people of Israel had already seen a little bit earlier in the book of Numbers, God already give them victory in a battle. So their idea is this, by the way, Edom means Esau, and God was not pleased with Edom. God was not pleased with that. So God said, I don't want you to fight against Edom. He said, I'm going to tell you to go around them. So here's what I want you to notice this morning is that God has got the people of Israel on a, on a path, and he's telling them the end result is going to be, be, be this Canaan's land that I'm giving you. I'm going to supply everything you need. <clears throat> what happens is, is that they want to say, Edom wouldn't just open their door and let us travel through. So can't we just beat them in a war, in a battle, and just keep marching right on? God said, nope. He said, instead of going, I think on a map, it's south, instead of the northeast, he said, I want you to go to the southeast. Total opposite direction. And they begin to murmur, complain, saying, wait a minute, this is not the way we want to go. You know, the world today wants to tell God how to get to Canaan's land. Folks, the truth is, God tells us how to get to Canaan's land. We do not decide how you're going to get to heaven. God decided that in the form of his son, Jesus. And Jesus is going to be that sacrifice. I've already read to you, he said, even as Moses, he talks about how that he lifted up the serpent. He talked about, about, about Jesus and how that he was going to be the one that we needed to escape that. So what happened to the people of Israel? They murmured and they complained against God and saying, God, why have you? Why won't you just let us fight Edom, keep marching forward so we can hurry up and get to where we're going? 
So what did God do? God said, because of your murmuring and complaining, He said, I'm going to send fiery serpents. Because of your disobedience, you're going to be bitten. This morning I want you to understand today is that God is going to deal with sin, but you know what? God's also going to provide a way that we can be delivered from sin. Numbers chapter 21. I want to begin reading in verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to come past the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of of the way and the people spake against God folks today I don't I'm not here to tell you that, that any of you have or ever will but do not forget the fact that there are people that are murmuring against God saying God we prefer a different way than your way folks God's way is the right way and the only way there is no other method, there's no other means, there's no other way that you're going to get to heaven other than through the blood of Jesus Christ, or should I say, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the people began to speak against God and against Moses. They didn't like God's way. People today don't like God's way. It's too hard. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So let's simplify things a little bit. Folks, it is simple, but it's not simplified as far as the fact that we're going to change what God wants. Verse 6 said this, And the Lord sent fiery serpents. The word fiery just means that they are poisonous. You know, poisonous just means something can happen, something does happen once you're bit by it, and we all are bit by sin, and there's a consequence of this poison that happens. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Their attitude, their corruption, and their, their wrongfulness brought on God saying, I'm going to deal with sin. So that he's going to tell them is that because of your disobedience, look at what's going to happen. And matter of fact, look what happens. Much people of Israel died. If you've ever studied much about anti-venom, anti-venom does not stop or reverse the fact that you were bit by something poisonous. It just prevents the furtherance of it. The wages of sin is death. You cannot stop the fact today that we are going to die and we are going to die because of sin. But what we can know is this, is that even though God must, He will, and He does deal with sin, He also provides a way that we can escape that. And we must look to Him. Isaiah 45, 22 said, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. God's going to provide a way. So what does God do with the people of Israel and their murmuring and their complaining? Let's continue to read for just a minute. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned for the Lord, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. 
Today I believe that there are people that are praying. I believe in praying people. People that pray that God, may they not, may they not be devoured by the, the serpent of sin, but may they escape that. For notice what happens in the 8th verse. And the Lord said unto Moses, he said, you know what? He said, I'm going to provide a way that you can escape the bite of the most deadliest animals that you know of, the serpent. So what happens here? And the Lord said unto Moses, so make thee a, not just a serpent, a fairy serpent. Christ, I believe, did not just come down to this earth, manifest himself in flesh as just a human being. He became a fiery serpent, meaning that he was tempted and he was tested just like you and I. So notice what Moses was told here. He said, make thee a fiery serpent. He said, but you must set it upon a pole. So this brazen serpent that, that's going to happen here is that the brazen serpent didn't have sin. It was just going to look like sin and it was going to be the substitute for sin so that if people would just obey and look to it, that they would be healed. So he said, set it upon a pole. Why would you set something upon a pole? What happens is, he said, talk about lifting up. We're going to put it right in the middle of the camp that everybody in the camp can see and have that opportunity that they can be delivered from this fiery serpent. Remember what we read in Isaiah 45. Look unto me and be ye saved all ends of the earth. No matter where in the camp of this earth that you are, he said, I'm going to be right in the center that you can look to me, folks. There is not a human being or a soul that we might save that is not in a place that they cannot look to Jesus. He is available to all. He's the look that saves. And then no matter what your race is, no matter what your age is, no matter what your location is, I believe that Jesus is available and He is the one that you must look to to be saved. And that's why He said, look unto me, He said, and be ye saved. He didn't say if you look unto me, you have the potential or there's a good chance. He said, you will be saved if you turn to me. Again, your head can look in lots of directions. You can look to the world, you can look to monies, you can look to uh, fame and fortune, but I'm telling you, the only way you're going to be saved is to look unto Jesus. In John chapter 14, excuse me, third verse, chapter in the 14th verse, he talks about uh, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Again, here in the book of Numbers, he said, everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. What happens if they were bit by a serpent and they just gave up? Just put their head down or went and laid in a tent and didn't look upon the serpent, just went down there and said, woe is me, there's no chance. Folks, I'm telling you, the only chance you have to be saved is Jesus, but you do have a chance. You do have an option today. You do have a way that you can look and be saved. But it's not for me to believe in. It's for you to believe in. I may be looking at the serpent. I have believed in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean you have. Maybe you've been bitten by sin and you've just kind of just scuttled away and said, well, there's no hope for me. I'm telling you, there's hope for every human being. And that hope is not in me, but there's hope in Jesus Christ. 
The hope is in Him and what He can provide for us. And notice what we read in Numbers 21 and verse 8. He said, and He says, Every, every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon me, shall live. But notice what He said in that ninth verse. And Moses made a serpent of brass. He did exactly what God told him to do. In other words, he was made exactly according to the plan of God and he put it up on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Do you know what it means? Again, look at, look at that word right there in that ninth verse. When he beheld the serpent of brass. Beheld means to look intently. Some people look at Jesus, but it's in a kind of a, a passing glance. It's kind of like, what? Folks, if you're going to be saved, Jesus is not a, a, a second figure. He's not just an alternate method. He's the only one that you can look to today. To be held means to look intently on that one source. I hope that you agree with me this morning when I tell you Jesus is the only way. He's the only method. He's the only way that we're ever going to escape this, this death or this poison that man has had inflicted upon. We must look to Jesus. And Moses told him, told him he said, when he beheld the serpent of brass. For again, back in our scripture reading, that whosoever, this is John 3 and 15, believeth in him should not perish, but have, again, he's talking about have, everlasting or that he might have eternal life. Today, I believe that through all the, the, the faults of man, that God is able to provide a way that we might be able to destroy and kill that old serpent. When you go back into the book of Genesis chapter 3, Eve thought her firstborn, Cain, the farmer, was going to kill the serpent. But actually what happens is, Abel, meaning vanity, means not going to happen. She felt like Cain was going to provide the way to kill or overcome sin. Let's talk about Cain and Abel for just a second. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Cain went out to the farm and he offered a, a, a grain offering unto God. And God said, that's not what's going to happen. When you go back and read about Abel, he was able to give a living sacrifice to God. And God approved, if you'll read Hebrews chapter 11, that when Abel made a more excellent sacrifice than that of Cain, the reason is, is that Abel made a sacrifice unto God that was a, a, a sacrificial offering that was going to be made. And that's what Jesus did. I want us to be very careful today. Very careful when we realize that the serpent is defeated not in Cain and the fruit offering or the grain offering, but in Abel and the sacrificing of a living being. Be very careful. Because never do we hear about what Abel said but we do have record of what Abel did. Some will simply tell you that if you'll just say these words, you'll be saved. Be careful. 
Because you can pray out loud and get saved, but I'm telling you, God is not worried about the words out of your mouth. He's worried about the condition of your heart. What are you willing to sacrifice for God? Cain and Abel, wonderful story you can read and study, is that God began to look upon that sacrifice. The only way the serpent was going to be defeated was there has to be a sacrifice, folks. The only way that sin's ever going to be defeated is not through the sacrifice of a ram or a bullock or a goat. It was going to be the sacrifice of God's only begotten Son. That's the only sacrifice that was going to be sufficient. And you see, we can approach God Cain's way or we can approach Abel's way. But the scriptures tell us the one that God has approved of. For in John chapter 3, in verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting Life. God said the only way we're going to have everlasting life is that one might be lifted up. Now the word lifted up just simply comes from an idea that he has to be crucified and he has to be glorified. You might ask yourself, well preacher, I've always believed that Jesus had to be crucified. But how does his crucifixion glorify him? Because it's in His crucifixion that we become victorious over sin. He is glorified in the sense that He is the only one. So when I tell you today, the look that saves, there's only one that can save you and it comes from Him. Folks, the cross was not the end of the glory of God. People may say, well, Jesus was crucified. If he was the son of God, why did he have to be crucified? Folks, that was not the end of the glory of God. Matter of fact, you cannot end God's glory. We've been studying this in Sunday school. You cannot end God's glory. But aren't you glad today that you can experience the glory of God? Aren't you glad today, this morning, that if you're here and you're saved, that you too can arise and you can begin to shout the glories of God because not of somebody else has told you, but because of something you have experienced. You've looked upon that pole. You've looked upon that brazen serpent. You have looked. You have believed. Folks, my belief is not going to affect you, but your belief is definitely going to affect yourselves. I've already been saved. I've already had that time in my life when I believed and I had faith in God. I believed that Jesus was the one. I believe in that. And I still believe in that today. For he tells us here in John chapter 3 that he said, and even in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you remember what we read in Isaiah? Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For God so loved the world. That's everybody, folks. But please stop for just a little while. And I want you to notice that word. For God loved the world. We would all say, what a wonderful thought it is that God loved us. But you've got to really study and look at that word so. That word so can be translated and written to say, in spite of. Of. In spite of our sin, God provided a way. In spite of their murmuring and complaining about not going through Edom and, and just God obliterating the opponent and being able to march on, in spite of that, God said, I had to send the serpent, but I still provided a way. In spite of our wrong, in spite of our unbelief, we still have 
hope. Folks, I'm telling you today, it would not be worth getting out of your bed if there were not for Jesus Christ, for in He and He alone do we have hope. You remove Jesus, folks, there's no need in gathering. There's no need in doing good. There's no need in worrying about it because death is the end. But I'm glad today to know this, that I believe if you'll look upon Jesus, I believe that you can have everlasting life. I believe in that. For God so loved the world that He gave. Man, you want to talk about unconditional love. God doesn't have to give us anything or he didn't, we didn't, He's not meeting a demand that we have asked. He gave. For he has gave his only begotten son. I love the word begotten. I love the word begotten. It means one of a kind. People talk about the rarity of, of, of certain automobiles or some kind of a collection that they may have. It's one of a kind. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He's one of a kind. There is none other like Jesus. And I will say that from the very depths of my soul this morning. That there is none like Jesus. When I tell you today that we must look upon the one that saves, there is nobody else that can save like Jesus. And remember Isaiah said, Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. For God today, he says, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And he said, if we'll do that, he said, that, that we shall have, notice what he said, that we shall have everlasting life. You want to talk about something that's absolute? This is exactly what he's saying. He said, if you look on me and believe. He's telling Nicodemus all these things. He said, Nicodemus, why should you be born again? Nicodemus said, I don't understand that. That's what he said in the ninth verse. He said, how can these things be? And he said, you've got to realize I've got to deal with sin but I'm going to provide a way for you to escape sin. I wish that I could look at everybody here today and to your family and your friends and say, you're never going to die. But that wouldn't be the truth, would it? I wish I could tell you today that everybody here is going to grow old. Thank you, preacher, for telling me I'm not old. The truth is, none of us are promised the next few seconds, days, hours, weeks, or years. But I can tell you this, we all are promised that we can have everlasting life if we will look to Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I want to close with the 18th verse in just a minute. There's two kinds of people here this morning. Not young and old. Not those that are asleep and those that are awake. There's not Democrats or Republicans. You're one of two categories this morning. Verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Which category are you in today? The condemned or the not condemned? He that believeth on him. 
is not condemned. Again, the word believe is right there. You know, there's a lot of things you can believe in. You can believe in a lot of things, and, and let's just go ahead and throw this out there. Some of them's real, some of them's not. There's a lot of make-believe. There's a lot of myths that are out there. There's a lot of legends. There's a lot of tales. There's characters out there. But I want to tell you something about Jesus. If you do not know this, He is real. His death, His burial, and His resurrection is not some story that you go to the library in town and you pull from the fictional section, folks. It's real. It happened. It's something that's real today to me. But is it to you? For He tells us, He said, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. True salvation, true deliverance is believing in something. Well, we might even go and say someone. Because three times, let's read that 18th verse. He that believeth, there you go, on him is not condemned. But he that believeth, there's a second time, is not condemned already. Because he that hath not believed. Three times in one verse he talks about how that you must believe. But I want you to really notice the belief. Read that to you one more time. He that believeth on him. Today, when I tell you this morning to look to the look that saves, salvation belongs in a person, and that is Jesus Christ. You can do your good works, and you know what you've done? You left Jesus out of it. Folks, do not stand before God without Jesus. You may say that, well, uh, I'm born of a good family. That is of, of, of a birth, that you might have a physical birth. Jesus said, he that believeth on him. There's a condemnation that happens. He says, he that believeth not. In other words, how do you get and how do you get out of this condemnation that is there? You must believe. And he says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You know, sometimes we think we're at a fork of the road and we've got a, something ahead of us. But the truth is, if you're not believing, you're already on the road to hell. If you are here today and God has revealed your sinfulness, it's not a matter of, well, I think I'm on the wrong path or that, that I'm about to go down the wrong path. You are on the wrong path because if you die in this very moment, hell is going to be your home. You are already on that path. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. But you've got to do something to go to heaven. You've got to believe. You've got to believe and you've got to believe in Him. Don't do anything and you'll go right to hell. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm trying to tell you the truth. The truth is, hell is what happens to us. We are bent by a serpent. We are bent by sin. And if we don't look and believe, and we'll just lay there and we'll die. And Jesus says, he that believeth not is condemned already. We worry about being condemned before people around us. But what about being condemned before God? What about being condemned before an almighty God that said, I provided for you a, a, a way that you could escape if you would have just looked. Moses said, I've got the serpent, but you've got to look. 
Jesus tells them in the 14th verse, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God said, I provided you a way, but you would not believe. So when we talk about the look that saves, remember Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22 that says this, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Folks, that is an absolute truth, if you will ever hear one, that it only belongs in Him. God bless you this morning. That's the very scriptures I had upon my heart.